Ladies and gentlemen, welcome wrestling fans worldwide to Knoxville and the Great Smoky Mountains for the Ron Fuller Tennessee Studcast. Six feet nine inches tall, 265 pounds. This historic podcast from one of the most respected and successful wrestlers and promoters will follow the footsteps of the largest and oldest wrestling family on the planet. Listen to what I'm saying. That's right. Bring that camera in here a little bit closer. Through 93 years and four generations. The stud has arrived. Old school or new fan, this unique broadcast will educate and captivate as Ron details decades of professional wrestling's growth with truly unforgettable stories. I want those people out there at home to hear the stud. Sit back and enjoy the ride with the Tennessee stud. The Tennessee stud. You will learn that name. You will remember it. And now, the stud is here. All right, here we go. It's another stud cast with the Tennessee stud, Ron Fuller. Hey, y'all, it's David Summers. This is the story of wrestling in America as told by the stud, whose family started the profession 100 years ago. So now we step back into the ring, back into time, into the Great Smoky Mountains where there ain't no hoss like the Tennessee stud, Ron Fuller. What's up, Ron? Oh, geez, man. Happy to be here today. Uh, beautiful day here. Um, got the same thing as always going on, except uh, we're getting now a regular visit from uh, from a bear family, man. <laughs> <laughs> I guess they've been listening to the studcast. Uh, oh, we must know that they've been talking about them. All right. You're not leaving food out, are you, Ron? Oh, well, you know, um, <laughs> every once in a while, there is something thrown out there, you know. Uh, <laughs> right. Uh, I used to think, you know, I'm just going to be feeding the possums and the coons right. and uh, stuff like that. But yeah. uh, uh, now it's a little bigger, you know. I guess you got, you you, you saw uh, actually a little video on that boy. I did. You you sent a video and I, I, I'm assuming it was running away from your cabin or it's what it looked like. But it still looks like a pretty good sized bear, and this is one of this is one of the cubs. Yeah, that's a cub. Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. Well, I don't want to see Mama then. Oh yeah, I've seen Mama just a couple of times as she heads <laughs> up the mountain. Uh, I never got a chance to see her face on, but and I don't know if I want to. As a matter of fact, see well, her face on. How big would she compare to Ginger, from what you remember? You uh, s- she's pretty close. Uh, She's pretty close, I would say. Didn't she's, you say Ginger she's big, was? She's a big girl. Didn't you say Ginger was like five or six hundred pounds? Yeah, Ginger's about the five hundred. She was over wow. five. Wow! You no, know, that's a big bear. And okay. uh, and this one was pretty darn close. Uh, like I said, I've never seen her from the front, but mm. she had a pretty big rear end on her, man. And uh, and that's the one. That's the part of it I wanted to see. If anything yeah. would be the rear end, and not yeah. That okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and, and just promise me that you won't be uh, naming them and hugging them. Oh no, <laughs> no, no, that ain't gonna happen. <laughs> yeah, I know you have experience or somewhat with bears, but anyway, best of luck with that. All right, but any scratches on the cars? Uh, well, the one's got the footprints from uh, when it was muddier, yeah. all the way over from the back to the front. You oh wow! So the top of the car came off of the came off onto the hood. Oh wow! Jump from the hood down on the ground, and uh, mm. Diana wanted to. Uh, <laughs> Diana wanted to play with this little cub. Yeah, I was like, oh boy, uh-huh. yeah. 
That's a great idea. Yeah, they yeah they want to play with the bison in Yellowstone National Park, and they they get up kind of close and they sling them in the air about ten or twenty feet. There so. you go. Yeah. yeah, probably not the best advice. All right, Stud, I know you're loving the life you're living there in Tennessee, but listen, I got to tell you what, last week's Studcast was absolutely, I thought it was absolutely remarkable. You gave us the first step in an angle that left everyone in the Knoxville Coliseum asking questions because Joe LaDuke, who had lost a loser leaves match to Ronnie Garvin two months earlier, sneaks in from the crowd and steals the Southeastern belt off the steel pole in the main event and then disappears with it. And is, as if that's not enough, 500 miles south on the same night, down in Alabama, Robert Gibson lost his partner, Rip Tyler, in a loser leaves tag match for the Gulf Coast tag belts. If the champion assassins lost the match, their manager, Billy Spears, would leave. And if Gibson and Tyler lost, Rip Tyler was going to have to leave. Tyler and Gibson absolutely lost. So I can only imagine what's going to be coming next, especially since the title for this studcast is LaDuke returns in Tennessee and Gibson returns in Alabama. You got a, you got a lot to follow through with on that one. Oh yeah, man. Well, that's a good run, Ben, man. Uh, you know, that's, that's exactly what happened in the last studcast. That's a great, uh, it's a great reminder to those people that listen that may have, uh, trying to figure out exactly where we are, but, uh, I think, Fans are going to really love this one, Dave. Uh, everybody's going to find out what Joel Duke had in mind when he appeared out of nowhere on Friday, June the 9th, 1978. And he really caused havoc, man. And, uh, you know, uh, especially with the Southeastern belt. Uh, and it had already been held up for three weeks before he did this. So uh, this time, it literally got held up in a totally different way. <laughs> so listeners are going to hear uh, the surprise Billy Spears also has in store for him in this one, this episode, since he and his assassins uh, sent Ricky Gibson out of southeastern Gulf Coast about a month ago. Uh, I'll drive him on the concrete, man, and uh, really, really uh, sent him literally out for a while. Wow. Yeah. And uh, things are really getting interesting. Man in the northern and the southern parts of southeastern territory, uh, as we arrived basically in the summer of 1978. Wow. Okay. So speaking of getting interesting, I'm also hearing some really special stuff on its way for the ClassicContinentalWrestling.com streaming channel. You've always got new stuff happening there. Tell us what's up. Well, man, you know we've been waiting a long, long time for the southeastern TV shows, and uh. We've put a whole lot of them together now, and uh, and I feel like we're pretty darn close to starting to load those onto the Classic Continental Wrestling streaming channel. Uh, and uh, and those shows uh, take place from basically 1980, don't have much in 79, and uh, not a whole lot in 80. But after that 80 time frame, uh, we're going to have a lot of shows, 81, 82, 83, uh, we're going to have a lot of these old classic shows that uh, a lot of people have never, ever seen. Uh, basically, we're going to be covering from 1980 to 85, and uh, it's going to start appearing on the channel uh, pretty soon. And, you know, uh, Southeastern Wrestling actually turned in in 1985 to Continental Wrestling, and uh, we moved this TV production from the WTVY studios in Dothan mm-hmm. to Charlie Platt to the Batwell Auditorium in Birmingham with Gordon Soley. <laughs> and I made the television program the first ever big arena weekly show ever 
in wrestling. Wow. So the entire month of uh, May of Continental TVs in 1986, we're uh, going to put all of those the entire month of May on there real soon. Uh, some of it will go on. In fact, uh, after people hear this, it's going to already be there. So we're just continuing to put a lot of stuff on it. Continental still going on it. And we're going to start real soon with the Southeastern TVs. I think fans are going to really enjoy those because that is the territory that uh, really so many great stars got their start in. That's awesome. All right. So listen, go, no, go ahead. Well, you know, also, man, uh, added this week, uh, we got uh, we got a lot of stuff going on there. Besides that, uh, we've got the Brutus. I've done uh, two more Brutus chapters. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. Uh, so, you know, uh, I've, I've been cranking on that, man. And uh, and that story's kind of taken off at this point. We get about uh, actually a chapter three and we've done the two prologues. But uh People are going to begin to see what the story's all about. So uh, we've got also two new stud stories on there uh, added uh, to the about the 31 or 32. They were already there. And these two are from 1973. And one of them's about a subject that uh, that's now the top conversation in most of the America and around the world, the price of gas. Uh-oh. Oh, you know, yeah. So uh, I'm going to take. Uh, fans back and uh, younger fans uh, back to an era that they I don't think they probably have any idea. I'm going to discuss in one of these stud stories the oil embargo in 1973 <laughs> and uh, and what happened then during that that almost made re- it impossible to be a wrestler and travel. Oh, no doubt. Wow. And then the second one, uh, I'm going to talk about how 1973 was actually the year I kind of became a star. So, uh, there's something new pretty much on there every day. It's what we're trying to do, Dave, uh, get something new always for fans. I tell you, it really does seem like it's becoming really huge. ClassicContinentalWrestling.com. Write that one down. ClassicContinentalWrestling.com streaming channel. It's only $4.99 per month or $39.99 per year. You get that free trial for one week now while this offer is still available. So, Stud... Man, you got a lot to get to today. Where do we ride to first? Well, we're going to begin in the southeastern Knoxville territory. You know, southeastern Commissioner Don Curtis was at the event in the last studcast, as a matter of fact. And uh, after he saw what had happened, he promised fans that they were going to find out uh, the results of this surprise by Joe LaDuke uh, the next day on TV. So we're going to be talking about that TV on this one. So we're going to give the fans... A most unusual card, man, for the following Friday, June 16th, 1978, after this real strange uh, pole match in which a guy that's not even wrestling in the territory climbs the pole and steals the belt. I mean, <laughs> pretty crazy, man. So, um, you know, and so all this is from 44 years ago. And we're also going to find out what was going to happen with the Southeastern belt, uh, get the results of the card and the attendance for that night. Plus, we'll have a brief discussion about the next charity softball game, which was on the Sunday afternoon following the TV show we're about to talk about. And then we'll ride south in the southeastern Gulf Coast, and we'll get the card there for Dothan, Alabama, uh, which is on the same night as this Knoxville show that we're talking about. And we're going to break down that TV and uh, the one that's going to promote that Friday night card in Dothan, plus the results of the matches and the attendance. And we're going to talk briefly and 
maybe not so briefly about the Mobile and Pensacola uh, having uh, no TV to promote their shows because of that David Schultz incident <laughs> a couple of stud casts back uh, uh, where he decided <laughs> to break a watermelon on somebody's head, you know, and uh, and then we'll update everybody on the early results of the huge billboard buy in that territory. So give it enough time, man, we're going to, if we can, we'll, we might even get to another uh, learning tree question. <laughs> you're just joking, yeah. right? <laughs> all right. I don't know how you're going to get it. I just mentioned it earlier. How are you going to get all of this in one studcast? So you got your, you really got your saddlebags loaded. So let's get riding and let's find out. Well, let's start with the Knoxville Coliseum on Friday, June 16th, 1978. Man, and uh, what a great card this one is. Uh, so Don Fargo was back in the territory, and uh, but this time he was meeting a brand new star, uh, a young kid who was making his debut in southeastern Knoxville. This boy's headed for success, big time, and uh, his name is Kevin Sullivan. Uh, Rip Smith uh, is going to wrestle Don Carson on this event. Tony Charles is going to meet the great Malenko in a no disqualification match. Uh, there's going to be a six man Texas death tag match. Uh, with Robert Fuller, Jimmy Golden, and Bob Roop against Dennis Condry, Phil Higgerson, and Ron Wright. And the main event was going to be for the Southeastern Heavyweight Championship, the belt that had been stolen. It was on top of the pole. It's going to be a special 12-man elimination match, and that meant as you were defeated, you left the ring and ringside until there was only one man that was not eliminated, the last man standing, basically, is going to be the new champion. So the contestants for this elimination match was going to be the Mongolian Stomper, the great Malenko, Ronnie Garvin, the United States Karate Champion, Ron Slinker, the Southern Heavyweight Champion, Jerry the King Lawler, the Georgia Champion, Mr. Wrestling Number 2, Don Carson, Don Fargo, Tony Charles, Rip Smith, Kevin Sullivan, and last but not least, Joe LaDuke. <laughs> you could have stopped two or three names back, and it was still a huge card, but that was absolutely one of the best cards maybe you've ever had in Southeastern, except for the world title match events. So let's start. Why don't we start with the TV for June 10th, 78, six days before this card. So it was setting every all of this up, right? Yeah. Yep. Uh, obviously, the TVs are, are made to promote the, the actual card. And uh, and again, I have to tell people I wasn't there, but uh, Rob and I talked a lot about it. He was booking there before it happened. And, uh, you know, we, ha- we had discussed uh, what we're going to do with Joe LaDuke since he wanted to come and join us for a little vacation. And uh, so... This card was absolutely, as we, as he just heard, it was loaded, man. And, and included uh, on the TV, we're going to have uh, Don Curtis, who was at the event the night before the TV. So let's talk about that TV then on June the 10th. Uh, it opened, man, with Les at the set, and he's sitting with who else, man? Joe LaDuke. And, uh, and Joe had with him, <laughs> sitting in front of him on the set, of the Southeastern Belt. <laughs> And then on the, <laughs> the big set behind them where the still shots, the big still shots always were, was a still shot of Don Carson almost at the top of the pole. And the southeastern belt was still on top of the pole. But it's just a still shot. 
Hmm. So uh, it uh, it was a great way to start a show. I'll tell you, <laughs> you imagine. Uh, well, I bet everybody was watching except for except for maybe the 6,000 fans that were there in the Coliseum the night before. They had to be asking themselves, what the heck was going on? Don Carson wasn't even in the pole match for the belt. Joe LaDuke had gone from Southeastern for two months. And what was he doing with the belt? Yeah, obviously. <laughs> it, it, it opened up with a lot of questions, man. Yeah. So, uh, so this is obviously going to be a very different TV show. And, uh, you know, than the ordinary ones with Edwards for sure. And, uh, but everything was going to be resolved in the next hour of this show again, this program. So, uh, so let's welcome Joe, uh, who was roundly booed by the studio audience because he was a heel against Ronnie Garvin when he left after the loser leave Southeastern match two months out there. So, you know, last time fans saw him, he was a heel. The, well, those that saw him the night before, they didn't know what to think, man. What is he doing here? Why is he climbing the pole? Why is he leaving with the belt? So uh, Les asked LaDuke to, to please hold on for a couple of minutes. And then he, ended up, he asked the director to roll the video on the set behind him so that the fans could see what happened. So unless, uh, you know, Carson moved upward on the pole once the video started and, uh, and he got closer to the belt. And then all of a sudden, as the camera shot backed away from the close-up, Joe LaDuke, Appeared on the pole the, below Carson, right? And then, uh, and then, and then, even below them, you could see on the video, there was Garvin and the Stomper laying on the mat below. They weren't even on their feet. So, kind of, Les kind of jumped in and explained the action, much of the action as he could as it was taking place. And then, uh, what happened is LaDuke uh, threw Carson from the pole down into the ring, and then he climbed and got the belt. He came down, he left the ring with it, and then he disappeared into the crowd with the southeastern belt <laughs> and uh so so les told fans that uh, that much had happened in the last 14 hours since this video was shot hmm. he said that during the course of the tv show everything was going to be explained but between now and what was going to be a special personality profile with southeastern commissioner don curtis and joel duke and another guest uh, they're going to find out what the heck was going on and what the next card so mm -hmm. that card for the next Friday night wasn't going to be announced as usual in the first interview of the TV show, but it wasn't going to be announced until after the personality profile. So he asked Joe if he would do what he had agreed to do with Don Curtis in the morning hours after the matches last night. Mm -hmm. They had had a meeting together. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Don Curtis had tracked down Joe LaDuke. <laughs> and uh, and, and uh, so Joe said, yes, he would do what he had agreed to do. He handed the Southeastern belt to Les and he left the set. Still, we're still, wow. uh, we're still making him go crazy, right? Okay. I mean, you got a pretty strange opening to a TV right there. So I can't wait to hear the personality profile and who that guest was that you didn't mention the name. I think that was somewhat intentional. So what came next? Well, the biggest Southeastern TV show in history, man, especially in terms of numbers of wrestlers on it, is what we're going to have here today, man. And this one had two six-man tags in the first half of the show and an elimination match with six more wrestlers in the last two segments of the show. So 18 wrestlers in all in this one-hour TV. 
that was probably another wrestling record for anywhere in the world for television programs. One hour television programs for sure. No doubt about it. So uh, after Joe LaDuke left the Southeastern Belt with Les to open the show, Robert Fuller, Jimmy Golden, and Bob Roop were on were on the first of two six-man tags on TV. And they were part of the two main events for the next Friday in the Coliseum in a six-man Texas Tornado match with all six of those guys in the ring at the same time with Condry Hickerson and Ron Wright. So they easily won that first match of the show, and they interviewed from the set with Les uh, following the match, and they explained exactly what they were going to be doing next Friday because they didn't show the normal vitafon that uh, of the entire card because uh, we wanted to wait until we got to explain what the card was before we showed it. So they kind of covered their match, and then Dennis Condry, Phil Higgerson, and Ron Wright, they took over the ring in the second match. And Condry and Hickerson, they demolished their opponents. And I mean demolished them, according to Rob. And, uh, and then Rob said they ta- finally tagged in Ron Wright when, the, when the, the, the guys were all laying there and he walked over and put his foot on their opponent's chest and they counted them out. So, boy, the celebration between that group was on and they joined Les for the second interview at the set. So Ron Wright, being the guy he was, bragged about how proud he was to be a part of maybe the biggest night of wrestling in the history of Knoxville. Uh, the following Friday night, he says, going to be biggest in history here. And, uh, and then he talked about how wrestlers get hurt mm-hmm. when as many as six of them are in the ring all mm-hmm. at the same time. But he says, it don't make no difference. He told, you know, <laughs> Rob says he, he gave him his Tennessee stuff at the end. He said, his it don't make no difference since all of us is Tennessee born. He said, it's going to be a perfect match for a good old Tennessee dog whooping. I knew it. <laughs> so he, he, he set it all up, man. And, and, and he and Hickerson and Condry all were born in Tennessee. And he was like, wow, man, what a Tennessee dog whooping we going to have next Friday. I think we all love to hear about a good old Tennessee dog whooping stud. All right, but but I bet it was time for a really special personality profile. I can't wait for this one. Well, it was definitely a classic, I can tell you that. It was being done live right in front of the studio audience. Uh, Les was joined by the Southeastern Commissioner, Don Curtis, and Joel Duke, and all three of them sat in those huge personality profile chairs, all jagged back and looked like they were relaxed, but it was not a – Subject that was very relaxing, I guess you'd say. So Les began by welcoming both of them, and he reminded fans of what they had seen at the opening of the show with Joel Duke. And then he passed the Southeastern belt, which Duke had given him. He passed it over to Don Curtis. And uh, so he reminded fans that Joel Duke had lost to Loser Leaves Southeastern match on April 10th, 1978 which was exactly 61 days before this TV was being recorded. Uh, and he'd lost it to Ronnie Garvin in the Knoxville Coliseum. And that what had happened the night before, in Les's opinion, he said, was unequal in the history of the sport. He said that Don Curtis was at the matches, witnessed it, and had stayed up all night trying to figure it out, why it happened and what to do about it. So then he turned it over to Don that point which was you know he's the guy he's the man that's running the company and uh, so fans i'm sure were eager 
eager to hear this story. So Rob said the studio crowd applauded Curtis. He said the fans really liked Don Curtis, and uh, they, he said that he was pretty surprised at how big a how big a uh, a hand he got from the audience. And then he says so Don explained what he had uh, that he had tracked down Jola Duke during the night, and that he talked him into coming over to the hotel to talk to him to find out what this was all about. And he said the two of them had a long conversation about why Joel LaDuke was back in Southeastern in the area and why he did what he did, why it had happened, you know. And he said that uh, he'd like for Joel LaDuke to explain it to fans the same way he had explained it to him the night before. So it's a good idea. I mean, he's going to let the man that, that did all this explain it. So, um, Joe thanked Don for being so kind, Rob said, as to, as to hear his story last night and uh, that he had come to Southeastern Wrestling, kind of went back, told the history of Joe LaDuke and Southeastern Wrestling, Rob said. He said that he started out by saying he had come to Southeastern Wrestling more than a year earlier to find two wrestlers that had broken his brother's neck in the ring and that he had never been a pretty guy, which that's a that's a. I can understand that statement from Joel LaDuke. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Not a real handsome uh-huh. dude, right? <laughs> you know, and, and he, he, Rob said he was just really, really uh, this, you know, honest with the fans, man. And uh, he said he'd never been a pretty guy. And until he came to Southeastern, after he had wrestled all over the world, he had never been accepted by fans anywhere in the world. Mm-hmm. They wanted mm-hmm. to boo him automatically, you know. Mm-hmm. And he said that he had never been to anywhere in the world as beautiful as this part of America, man. Do you think he was substituting pretty guy for baby face? I mean, that that was just his terminology. (laughs) I've never been a baby face. That's another way of saying it, I guess. Yeah. No. Yeah. So he said, you know, he'd never been anywhere in the world as beautiful, he thought, as this part of America. Yeah. And that he fell in love first with the beauty of the scenery. And then he said... He fell in love with the wonderful people in Tennessee. Man. Yeah. He said it, yeah. Just, it just got it to him, man. So uh, then he said that there was another wrestler here from his hometown in Montreal, Canada, when he arrived more than a year earlier. And that, uh, uh, you know, that it, it was like, uh, it was not like, that guy was not liked at that point and was being booed every night by the Southeastern fans. He said, in fact, that wrestler was his uh that uh, was and his partner named Bob Orton Jr. were the reason that they came to Southeastern to begin with because they were why his brother had a broken neck. So he came looking for him. He found Ronnie Garvin here, uh, who was a Montreal Canadian, just like he was. And, uh, and the fans didn't like Ronnie at that point. He and uh, Bob Orton Jr. were the tag champions and kicking everybody's butt. And he said, he said, so the fans that here had cheered him, man, and they stood behind him. They got behind him, man, since the day he said I arrived. And uh, he said, they even stuck with me through the my real bad neck injury last summer uh, when uh, they did the blockbusting thing with him and Mongolian Stomper. He said that it almost ended my career. I was in the hospital for a week, and, uh, you know, that the fans here had basically changed him as a human being. And it made him something different. That he, and then he added that Ronnie Garvin also changed his ways. And the fans had grown to like Garvin now. 
Hmm. just as they had liked him. Mm -hmm. And that's when he said he made a horrible mistake. He just came out and said, I made a big mistake, Steve. And uh, so uh, Rob told me, and we talked about this, this great, great personality profile. Rob said he got extremely emotional at that point. And actually, tears started to come into his eyes, man. And he said they got a real good close-up, you know. Uh, so he says Don Curtis kind of saw what was happening, and he interrupted, and he asked Les if he would please invite someone else out for this, uh, this personality profile. And uh, and that guy was Ronnie Garvin. So that, and he said uh, probably I think Joe has some things he wants to say to Ronnie Garvin. So uh, Les invited him out, and Ronnie came to the personality profile set, and uh, Joe stood up from his chair and faced him, and uh, he continued his story. Uh, Rob said he had tears in his eyes at this point, and he told Ronnie that when fans started to cheer for Ronnie, he had started to become jealous. He said, I'm honest. I just became jealous. He said, said, "I I knew it wasn't right, but he... He said, I felt like Ronnie was taking my place with the fans. You know, they had cheered me for so long, and now they were cheering him. And he said, he said I, I made a mistake. He said, I became so angry that I couldn't help myself. And I chose to turn not only on the fans, but on Ronnie as well. And he said, I wrestled the last four weeks in Southeastern with the fans booing me in every match I had. He said, it almost killed me. So, uh. And then, uh, you know, he he continued that his two months away from here, he said, had given him the time to see his mistake. And he wanted to apologize personally to Ronnie for what he did before he left and for what he had done last night. He said the fans in the studio, Rob said the fans started to cheer him, man. As Joe stuck out his hand and Ronnie shook it and they hugged each other. And uh, and they and the studio pop. Rob said it was like a big wow. People would just went crazy, and uh, so both of them left the set. Just left the uh, kind of left the uh, less and uh, and Don Curtis still there. Wow. Listen, and when when Joe was talking, and that's this is the the amazing part of about Joe. He gets your attention. You, you probably could have heard a pin drop when he was saying that stuff. So, man, that had to be. That just had to be a very touching moment when you've got this mountain of a man shedding tears like that. And it had to lead to one of the best personality profiles in Southeastern history. Well, it wasn't over yet, Dave. That's a great part about it. So Don Curtis Curtis told Les, he said uh, that after hearing this story from Joe LaDuke last night, he said uh, he decided what to do about the Southeastern belt and, and how to find a new champion. And he said he was going to do something that had never been done before in wrestling. He was going to have one match that involved 12 wrestlers that would end up with the winner becoming the new Southeastern champion. And that the only way that could happen was to have 12 men, a 12 man elimination match with the last man standing, standing there undefeated would become the champion. And the studio audience loved the idea, and they let him know, man, there's another big pop. Uh, so Curtis said uh, he was up early this morning, told Les. I've been up early this morning, Les. Uh, was up on most of the night, and a long conversation with LaDuke. And I was up all morning, 
And he goes, I've been adding wrestlers from other parts of the country to the great ones that we already have here to make this one of the best elimination matches in the history of wrestling. So next Friday night, he says in the Knoxville Coliseum, the following 12 guys are going to meet each other to see who's going to be the next Southeastern heavyweight champion. So Rob said him and Les had spent a lot of the time in the morning. They knew who these 12 guys were with the director of the show creating this special screenshot that uh, was made so that when the names were announced, uh, they would be put on the screen. So at this point, Curtis hadn't told who the guys were. So then Don Curtis began to name the 12 men in the match. And instead of just having the camera on him and Les, this screen popped up. And Rob said it was amazing how the studio crowd watched and they see the screen on the monitors. They either popped or booed for every one of these names as they appeared on the screen, especially the last one that was there. So here was the list. Former NWA world champion, Jack Briscoe, the Mongolian Stomper, the Southern heavyweight champion, Jerry Lawler. Now these names are coming up on the screen. He's taking his time. He's a professional, Curtis. He sees what's happening. Rob says he got with the ticket, man. He could tell what was happening here. He said he continued Ronnie Garvin, the great Malenko, the Georgia champion, Mr. Wrestling 2, the United States karate champion, Ron Slinker, Tommy Wildfire Rich, Tony Charles, Kevin Sullivan, Don Fargo. And then he said the last, he said, he said that Curtis said, and last but not least, uh, the man he was going to allow to uh, sent to return. And even though he had lost a recent loser leave match, to <laughs> return early to Southeastern, mm-hmm. Joe LaDuke was also <laughs> going to be in the elimination match. Rob said the audience just popped. It was tremendous. I don't know how long that profile was, but gosh, I guess every minute of that had to be pretty dramatic. It seems to me that could have been two or three profiles, but it was so much went into one. I mean, listen, they didn't leave a thing out, did they, Stud? So a no. great, I mean, an absolute huge way to set up the next Friday night. So what came next? Well, the show ended with the, with a six-man elimination match right there on TV, which was great because it gave all the fans an idea of how exciting these type of matches were and how they worked. So uh, it went through that six-man uh, elimination match, went through the whole, the whole last two segments of the TV show. Uh, and that and that six-man match was the great Malenko was in it, Kevin Sullivan was in it, Rip Smith was in it, Tony Charles was in it, Tommy Rich, and Don Fargo were in it. So, uh, and the great Malenko won this six-man elimination match. <laughs> All right, that's a fantastic TV. So that's obviously set up everything for the next Friday night. What happened there? Well, Kevin Sullivan won his first-ever Southeastern match over Don Fargo. Uh, Rip Smith beat Don Carson. Uh, Tony Charles and the great Malenko, they had an extremely, Rob said, he watched it, he said it was an extremely nasty single match, man, early in the night. Uh, And uh, then he said uh, in the elimination match later on at the end of the night, they even had a worse incident between the two of them. And uh, they were both thrown out of the elimination match, disqualified from the elimination match. He said they fought all... He said the match was continuing in the ring, and they were still fighting outside the ring. And uh, and he said uh, 
there were, he, he said, I booked it right then, Ron. He says, I want to make it a loser leave town with uh, Tony Charles against the great Malenko. So I said, geez, man, that ought to be a good one. So, uh, so Robert, Jimmy, and Bob Roop, uh, they won the six-man Texas Tornado match with all six men in the ring, uh, and they defeated, obviously, Condry Hickerson and Ron Wright. And in the 12-man elimination match, Ronnie Garvin won the Southeastern belt. And what Rob said was one of the best matches maybe in the history of the territory. That maybe never seen a better hmm. match than that. I would love to have seen that elimination match. So you had to do really well on attendance. And then tell us about the second charity softball game Southeastern was involved in during the summer of 78 because you guys made those things absolutely famous. Well, the attendance was almost exactly what it was last week. And almost as if everybody that was there last week just came back again, man. It was 5,800 again, you know. Uh, one of the biggest crowds ever that wasn't a championship, world championship event. So the softball game was obviously the babyface wrestling, and we didn't let heels play in the game, uh, against the biggest radio station in Knoxville in those days, WOKI Radio. Uh, and that game took place again at Bill Meyer Baseball Stadium. It was on Sunday afternoon, June 11th, two days. The next day after this TV that we just talked about, <laughs> and uh, and we had uh, we had almost 2,500 fans there this time, more than the other game. And uh, <laughs> we ended up giving thousands of dollars to the Sunshine Boys and Girls Home, which is a great great uh, uh, charity organization there, uh, and they were having a big uh, Upcoming trip to Washington D.C. So, they we, we we gave them several thousand dollars, man, to take those uh, wow. those kids, man, and those wow. were orphan kids, most of them. That's a uh, big that's, Washington D.C. Man, I tell you what, you guys were doing a lot for the local community and fans all over that part of the country back at that time. A great beginning to this one, Stud, and it's a good spot for a break too. Let's do that. Let's talk about ClassicContinentalWrestling.com. We'll be back on this Studcast in a moment. All right, Studcast fans, don't miss out on the hottest old-school streaming channel, ClassicContinentalWrestling.com, and new this week, two terrific stud stories from 1973, Gas Embargo and Stud Becomes a Star, two more Brutus audio chapters from the man who wrote it, Ron Fuller Welch, more Continental TV shows from May of 1986, and coming soon, Stars of the Sport number 5, with Hands of Stone and one-man gang, Ronnie Garvin. Two spellbinding hours of the wrestling history of a superstar. Find it all at ClassicContinentalWrestling.com. Only $4.99 per month or $39.99 per year. Get a one-week trial free now. Okay, welcome back in. It's another Studcast with the Tennessee stud, Ron Fuller. And David Summers here. Hey, Ron, where do you think we're going to be headed next? Are we headed down to the Wiregrass area, as it's called? That's it, man. Yep. And, you know, normally, you know, we, we go straight to Dothan mm -hmm. uh, for its card and the TV the next day and all that. But I'm going to change it up a little bit today, Dave. Uh, you know, in this particular studcast, uh, this time I'd like to head down to Mobile, Alabama and Pensacola for a little different perspective of the southeastern Gulf Coast Territory. Hmm. So um, so we're going to start today, uh, this second half, by going into the smaller of the two buildings in Mobile's arena complex. It was called Expo Hall. 
it seated about 5,000 people. And that was much larger capacity than what we needed at that time frame in the early 1978. Uh, but less than two years later, just to give fans an idea of what's going to happen, man, there would be events that required us to have to go to the bigger building, which was next door, the uh, auditorium that seated 12,000 people. Wow. Okay. So that's, that's pretty wild, Ron. You're saying there were times in Mobile when you drew more people than in Knoxville? <laughs> Many times, Dave. <laughs> and also in the city of Birmingham. <laughs> Many times. So uh, what we were going to, uh, which Birmingham we bought from Nick Goulas, a promoter uh, who was in partnership with my grandfather, Roy, uh, out of the Nashville territory, uh, two years later in 1980. So in less than two years, we're going to also add Birmingham to the southeastern Gulf Coast. So the southeastern Gulf Coast territory, uh, we were kind of starting, you know, we were fighting to survive when we went down there in 1978. But eventually, it's going to be twice as successful as the first southeastern territory in Knoxville. Wow. All right. So I never really realized, I mean, looked at it that way. So are we going to talk about the card in Mobile the same week as that Knoxville card in the first part of the Studcast? Right. Well, it's in exactly the same week. And, uh, geez, man, you and your horse, Mr. Pickles, you're on the right trail, man. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> thank you, you for you got it going, man. Thank you for so, remembering my horse's name. <laughs> how could you forget a name like Mr. Pickles? For thank you. Yeah, thanks for that. <laughs> So, so we're also going to look at Pensacola, Longwood Mobile. So uh, before we do, we're going to update everybody on the TV situation there. Uh, you know, we've talked about it a little bit over the last two or three stud casts. You know, the, about three weeks earlier, we, uh, we lost our TV there due to this David Schultz and Charlie Cook surprise watermelon busting angle that they came up with. And, uh, and the two of them had never consulted Bob Armstrong or myself three weeks early and it, and it got us thrown off of that mobile TV for three Saturdays. So thank goodness uh, this one that we're talking about in this week was the last week of that three weeks with no TV. So, uh, so whatever happened on the mobile TV station, because it covered two big markets affected both mobile and Pensacola's crowds, obviously with no TVs at all for three weeks in a row, Bob and I really expected we're going to lose thousands of customers um, because of no television. But boy, we were wrong. I can tell you that. Um, we were absolutely dumbfounded, man. And, uh, and probably would every promoter in the country would have had the same, uh, same uh, opinion that we did, that business is going to die. Uh, but uh, we were dumbfounded with the results, man. The first week we ran Mobile after only two months, the TV, uh, taking people back to the first show in Mobile, it was a crowd of 1,700, which was the biggest opening night crowd in southeastern Gulf Coast. So then the second event had TV to promote it, and uh, the house jumped from 1,700 to 2,300 uh, from the TV, and that was the TV that had the watermelon angle on it. So the third event was the first one with no TV. And because we'd pulled out, we pulled off the, due to the – the watermelon incident, we expected the house uh, to drop by at least a thousand people. And Dave, it went up 200 people. 
it, it really shocked us, man. It just, wow, it's like, hmm. what in the heck? So then the second week with Toe TV, it dropped a little bit, but it only dropped 300 from the week before. Huh. So it was still much better than we expected. So so in this this week that we're talking about here, it was the last week of the no TV situation in Mobile. And uh, on Tuesday night, uh, June 13, 1978, without TV, we drew more than 2,000 fans. It, it was really hard not to get excited because we dropped only 300 fans after three straight weeks with no TV. We're thinking, Bob and I, what's going to happen, man, when we get TV back? So uh, we experienced the same thing in Pensacola. It dropped only about 200 fans from where it was three weeks earlier with the TV. And uh, we couldn't hardly wait until the next time we ran those towns because we would be back on TV. And C.P. Persons, the TV's general station's general manager, he had promised me, and they had been running them, because mm-hmm. uh, I was living in Pensacola. I kind of knew what was going on, that uh, they were going to be running spots for us, advertising our return to the station all three of the weeks that we were off TV. Mm-hmm. So promos were going to be coming that you guys were coming back. So, all right, look, but we still got a lot of territory to cover in this ride. So, uh, Let's go to Dothan, because after breaking, I remember this, 3,000 attendance marked last week for the first time in Southeastern. This, this, this should be a pretty good card. Well, this one starts out with Burhead Jones, who hadn't been there in quite a while, against a masked guy called El Diablo. Uh, we had uh, Tarzan Baxter back on the card, wrestling pro versus mm-hmm. Eddie Sullivan. Mm-hmm. Uh, Charlie Cook and Mike Stallings were in a tag team match with David Schultz and Eddie Mansfield after being in single matches against each other the week before. The Gulf Coast Tag Championship match was on the card. The Assassins, managed by Billy Spears, were going to be defending against Robert Gibson and a mystery partner. Obviously, like we talked about earlier in the show, mm-hmm. uh, Rip Tyler was gone. Mm. Robert Gibson by himself. So he's he's got him somebody for a partner, but we weren't going to talk about who it was going to be. Uh, the Gulf Coast Championship belt, uh, it, it was a championship match for the belt versus the $10,000 from the elimination match the week before, hmm. which uh, <laughs> in which uh, <laughs> David Schultz helped me to, to steal 10 grand from Bob Armstrong. So, uh, so uh, this match was going to be uh, Bob's built against my 10,000 that I had won, and the winner takes off. Whoa, okay. So, so uh, pretty big, uh, pretty big <laughs> things to, at stake there, for sure. Yeah, you keep turning around pretty big cards on Friday night in both territories. So what happened on the TV show six days before this card? Well, it opened with me at the set with Charlie Platt and Gordon Sully, and, uh, and I had 10,000 bucks. I had gone to the bank uh, the day before and got a uh, hundred, you know, a <laughs> hundred, hundred dollar bills, basically. And uh, wow, it's uh, and then then you know I I, I had I love to spread those those bills like that. I put them in my one hand and spread them with my finger, and I had a smile on my face that made the Cheshire cat jealous, man. I mean, I, I was all all uh, all big grin, man, with the with the big money, and uh, so we watched the video from the night before where David Schultz had helped me win the ten thousand in the in that elimination match there, and I bragged that uh, I had so much money. I said it, it meant 
it means nothing to me. It, 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 I, nothing means more to me than to be the champion. For all these great fans, I said, pointing at the back bleachers over there in the studio. You can imagine how that was accepted. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'd rather have I'd rather be champion for them than have ten grand. I mean, they had to be going. Well, what a jerk! <laughs> so, uh, so it was good. So uh, it wasn't accepted. Uh, it was accepted exactly like I wanted to be. I guess that's what I should say. And uh, that so my upcoming match with Mister Goody Two Shoes was going to get me both. Man, I told him the belt and my money. I'm gonna have it all, and, you know. So, so Bob was in the first match, and for the first time since I had been knocking him, and I'd never wrestled on TV, I had been knocking him every time he was in the ring. Went out, watched a lot of his matches. For the first time, I got to him, and he came out and got in my face at the set, hmm. right? And he hmm. challenged me to get in the ring right now. Why don't you just get in the ring with me right now? Let's let's settle this right now. And uh, so I jumped up, man, and I uh, backed off, and I made a big deal out of jerking my shirt off, and uh, and uh, and I looked over in uh, in Schultz and Mansfield. I kind of give them the hey, get over here, right? <laughs> so I don't have to go up there. So Schultz and Eddie Mansfield came out, and they grabbed me, and boy, when they did, I went for it. They held me back, though. Thank God. <laughs> <laughs> so then. Uh, so then Bob went on to the ring, and he kept shouting for me to come on in. Just come on. He sat down on the second row, pulled up the tie, everything he could to get me in there. Mm-hmm. And the fans were going crazy in the studio. They wanted to see it. And then when his opponent arrived, boy, he just jumped him, man. And, wow, he put that boy to sleep pretty easy. <laughs> he would, that thing didn't last three minutes. So then uh, Schultz and Mansfield were in the next match, you know, and the fans had already a little upset with them because they came out and stopped me from getting in the ring with Armstrong. So before it started, you know, they they were pretty mad at him already. So uh, so in their interview, after they beat their opponents, you know, big time, they insulted their next week's, next Friday night's opponents, Charlie Cook and Mike Starling. Um and wow, Schultz again, man, he got so bad. I was afraid we might be going to have another TV problem, man, like the watermelon incident. <laughs> <laughs> he was really on him, man. And the, those two those two young hills had great, great heat. Wow, they had some tremendous heat. <laughs> wow. I was like, I almost had to leave the dressing room and go out there and pull yeah. Schultz out of there, man. God, come on, Dave. <laughs> I got to so, say, in, in your defense, Stud, you had not stretched. You had not worked out for the day. There, there's no way you could have just oh, jumped yeah, up in the ring like it. that. That's the only reason I didn't yeah. get him, man. I, you could have yeah. pulled something. I mean, yeah. come on. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm glad the boys came to stop me and pulled me off. Yeah, absolutely. So, so then the personality profiles with the guess who, Mr. Goody Two Shoes, of course. And he watched the submission match. Uh, there was two matches that night. And the first video showed me and David Schultz beating him. But then he watched the first match of the night, which was a submission match versus the sleeper. Uh, he could win with them, had to win with the sleeper, or I win with the submission hole. And he had beaten me. So he watched that one, right? It kind of got even, right? So the studio fans loved it, man, especially when he put me to sleep in that one. And uh, and he got his hand raised, so uh, so they were they were kind of ready for that winner takes all match the following Friday night, 
so uh, Charlie Cook and Mike Stallings, uh, they had their first tag match together on TV. And those boys were a natural team. Wow, they were great. I watched them. I was like, geez, man, we got to put these guys in the ring more as a team. Uh, and the fans recognized it. They loved it. They really got into the match. So on the last segment of the show, Billy Spears and his assassins came to the set. And uh, Spears told Charlie Platt, Gordon Soley, that he had a little surprise for him and the fans, he says, right? And he says, uh, he says I'm going to take you and the fans, you guys and the fans, on a, on a video journey of my team's ascension to the throne of tag wrestling, hmm. to the kingdom, man. Uh, you know, right here in the Gulf Coast, we are the kings. You know, so uh, so we asked the director to one. He says, uh, you know, first uh, director, can you go ahead and run that first video? Oh, I love this video. He started. Uh, Billy Spears was a great deal. and uh, and he says, I love these videos, uh, and, and you know, and I want to show you uh, everybody. Uh, I want to take this little journey with me uh, to remember my team's history as the Gulf Coast champions. And uh, so it was the match on TV from a month early where they had badly hurt uh, Ricky, uh, Ricky Gibson. And, uh, and uh, he hadn't been seen since that match a month earlier. And then, and then Spears watched it, him and his boys, and they laughed, and they had a great time with it. And then Spears uh, said, uh, you know, now play that second video. And the second video was the match from the night before where they were beating Rip Tyler at the end of the match. And, then he said, now Rip Tyler's gone. He ran his mouth. He's no longer here. And, uh, you know, and uh, he says, uh, and I still am and managing champions, you know. So uh, so then he got on to, Rick, uh, to Robert Gibson. And he said, now, you know, poor Robert Gibson, he's got no partner at all. And he's bringing in this mystery partner. And uh, he said, uh, but that's no mystery because uh, Robert's mystery partner uh, is going to be leaving just like uh, Rip Tyler did, stretchered out. <laughs> and, then, and then they backed up, showed <laughs> Tyler being carried out on the stretcher. Uh, uh. So, um, so then Charlie and Gordon, they didn't like the idea. You know, they and no commentators want to see their show taken over by somebody else. So uh, they couldn't hardly hide this dislike for what was going on. So Spears called for the director to run the next video, and, and they went, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> so they called for the director not to run the next video that Spears had called for, and, uh, and they sent the three of them to the ring. He said, you guys are supposed to be in the ring wrestling. This is the last match of the day. Go to the ring and do what you're supposed to do. So uh, mm. the three of them, they kind of angrily left the set. They went to the ring for another devastation of their opponents and Robert Gibson came to the set and he watched the match uh, with both the commentators and uh, and he was very set, upset about the two videos that were shown by Billy Spears uh, right before he came out there, especially he said the one with his brother and, and that's that's to be expected man you, it's hard to watch your brother get hurt and uh, so as soon as the match was over, the assassins and Spears went back to the dressing room and uh, Robert Gibson stayed there to sit with Charlie and them, and he asked if uh, they wouldn't mind if uh, he showed a recent video. And they said, uh, you know, well, you know, 
Robert, the show's almost out of time, but sure, go ahead. You know, after what the heck uh, Spears had had the rights to do, he'd run two of them. So, uh, mm-hmm. so the video that he showed opened up with Billy Spears on last week's show with that white suit being ripped off his body, <laughs> him running around in his long underwear. <laughs> and boy the tv crowd exploded as soon as they saw where he was going with that right and they ripped out tearing his suit off and his pants and the whole deal and uh so the crowd exploded but so did pierce spears and assassins man from the dressing room they exploded man and they came running to the set screaming stop it stop that video right and then spears got in robert's face and he asked him, you know, uh, point blank. He says, uh, where's your mystery partner? <laughs> and, uh, and uh, you know, Robert said, hey, well, that's none of your business. And he said, well, uh, since you're here alone, he goes, you're going to pay the price. <laughs> so oh. he said, the three of them just reached and grabbed him across the desk at the set with Gordon and Charlie and drug him right over the set, started pounding him, man. <sighs> And the TV audience went crazy, obviously. And Charlie and Gordon started yelling for help for Robert. You know, I mean, the, the three of them on him. And the show's running out of time. And uh, so um, and, and they didn't have to yell for long, man, because all of a sudden here comes Brother Ricky, man. He'd been gone for a month. And wow, he tore into them. All hell broke loose. They started fighting all over the studio. Time ran out on the show. The mystery partner was no mystery, man, before that show was over. <laughs> Charlie Platt was talking about throwing people down on the Terrazzo tile floor. <laughs> <laughs> man, that was wild. So I think this this TV was maybe even better than the unusual Southeastern Knoxville TV. So what happened on the next Friday night? Well, Burrhead Jones beat El Diablo. Uh, the wrestling pro won over Eddie Sullivan. Charlie Cook, Mike Stallings, they lost to David Schultz and Eddie Mansfield. Uh, Ricky and Robert Gibson, the boys from Pensacola, born and raised in Pensacola, tore up that farm center, man. They beat the Assassins and Billy Spears for the Gulf Coast Championship. And they had been the first team to ever win that championship uh, months earlier when we first started there. So, and then uh, with the help again from David Schultz, I won the Southeastern Gulf Coast Championship from Goody Two Shoes, Bob Armstrong, and I kept my 10 grand too. Wow. I got to ask you this really quick. Did, did you call him Mr. Goody Two Shoes on TV back when this, this whole feud was going on between you two? Oh, yeah. Absolutely, so, okay, man. Okay. <laughs> absolutely. I loved it. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> yeah anything yeah, to get every chance i got i called him <laughs> mr goody two shoes yeah. i probably yeah. said it a few times on the microphone when i got in the yeah. ring where's mr goody two shoes yeah that you was know? of course his persona just one of the best good guys ever so, all right but so how'd you do in dothan what was the crowd like <laughs> well it was it was over three thousand again man for the second week in a row it's just wow wow i mean it was business was really getting getting ready to zoom big time you know so so uh it, it was it was really great uh it, we'd been 3300 the week before i think this one was 32 wow so, uh, we're just right in there still still doing great hey i tell you we've already done so much ron but i have to ask about one more thing i don't know a lot about what made the sport work but it sure seems like to me 
there were a lot of wrestling fans in the Mobile, Montgomery, Pensacola, Dothan, even Panama City areas. How about we finish today with what was happening with this? You mentioned this billboard campaign, this billboard buy that was going to be coming up. It's been back probably April for the entire territory that sounded like it was really going to be a big deal and a huge boost for your company. Yeah, it actually started on June the 1st. So it had been out there. These billboards had been out there for, for a little over two weeks, right around two weeks. And I, and I had not told anyone but Bob Armstrong about the buy. Uh, he's the only one that knew about it. Uh, and it was for 200 billboards, man, promoting the matches and the TV times all the way from Tallahassee, Florida, west, almost New Orleans, Louisiana, mm-hmm. north from the Gulf Coast to 50 miles north of Montgomery, Alabama, and from the Georgia line west to the Mississippi state line. Wow. Big buy, 200 billboards, man, uh, and they were holding off in Mobile from running theirs until we got back on TV. Hmm. So uh, hmm. so I had seen some of them, but, but I didn't mention it. I didn't say anything to anybody, and uh, then I – what happened was really what I really, really hoped would happen. I started to hear about it first from the wrestlers and the crew. The buzz. The buzz from the boys. Yeah. <laughs> and they started coming to me and asking everything about it. Wow, Ron, this is billboards. Well, where'd you ever see this? What's on them? Why you got this on there? What, what that? Why that picture? Uh, none of them had ever seen a billboard on the highway that advertised wrestling. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, and, and, and in fact, I don't know that there was ever any other wrestling company ever that went to the extent of advertising on billboards other maybe than that, than Southeastern. So, so it was their enthusiasm, the boys for what I was doing that really made me feel great about the buy. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and they got fired up, man that their owner was willing to invest big time in their livelihoods. Taking it main, taking it mainstream. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That's it. I mean, you know, so, uh, having used billboards in Knoxville, I knew it took a little more time to start to see the results of the box office, but the impression that it made on people that saw them changed their perception of the sport, man, that it was absolutely priceless to me, these billboards. So, there we were. We're in summertime, the best time of year. We had a crew that was committed to building business. One of the best wrestling TV shows in the world and billboards that exposed it all and made a profound statement doing it, man. So uh, it set wrestling on fire in southeastern Gulf Coast that summer. Wow. All right. I mean, my hat's off to you, Stud. I can't believe it, but we're. I think we're going to do it. We're going to make time for another learning tree question today. Craig Brinkley asked, talking about bicycling tapes and booking cities, how did this affect special events like Cadillac or Bronco car tournaments? Would you book the tournaments in all of the cities on the trail? I like that on the trail part. Uh, Craig, <laughs> name. yeah, I like that on the trail. That's good throwing yeah. that in. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's a good question, Greg. Uh, obviously, uh, Knoxville, it always got these special events like this, the cars and the boats and uh, everything, you know, because it was by far the biggest city in the territory. Uh, 
didn't make sense to have a huge tournament in a city that would only hold 5,000 people or 4,000 people. So, uh, you know, uh, Knoxville got it. But, man, it was completely different in southeastern Gulf Coast. We had several major markets there. We tried to spread the big car and the van tournaments around the territory. Uh, we only had one tournament for each vehicle. You know, we didn't do them everywhere and uh, give the same vehicle away more than once. Uh, we were always concerned, man, in southeastern Gulf Coast about some fans traveling from one of the major cities to another major city and finding out what was going on, that they had the same cards were in both the towns and whatever. And we were so concerned about that that we would change the finishes between cities. See, the card would be the same, but the matches wouldn't end up the same mm -hmm. way. Mm -hmm. So that fans came there, they saw a different end of the match. Mm. So, uh, so you know, it it, it was a uh, they were they they knew sometimes they were getting the same cards in some cities, but mm. uh, but just in case a few people that went to all the markets, uh, they didn't get uh, smartened up. Basically, yep. they didn't figure out what right. they were going on. Yeah. So. Uh, so, you know, I'm, I'm glad you asked this question, uh, Mr. Brinkley. I think last name was Brinkley. Uh, this, this is, this is a one-night uh, car tournament, uh, as a matter of fact, uh, because you brought this up right at this point. Uh, there's one coming to, to a car tournament. It's coming to Knoxville in July of 1978, July 14th in 1978 in the Chihuahua Park Amphitheater, southeastern Knoxville. It was going to be giving away a brand new 1978 LTD Ford Landau, man. <laughs> Pretty little car, man. Wow. You know? So uh, it fits in really good with what's going on. We're not too far away from that big Ford Landau tournament. It's a one-night deal. And uh, well, car and boat tournaments were always big business, Dave. Wow. And you put them on the, on the card, and, uh, well, you, you're going to expect a big house. All right, Stud, another great job, another another great answer to another awesome question at the end of the show. We made it to it. That's awesome. All right, folks, and listen, some good news. If you're in the Wiregrass area, you can see Ron in person and get those souvenirs and autographs Saturday, July 2nd, this year, 2022, at the Continental Wrestling Fan Fest in Dothan, Alabama, at the crossing at Big Creek, Highway 231 South, not too far from the Florida line. Don't miss this opportunity to meet the Tennessee stud Saturday, July 2nd. And this is going to be a big event. The Continental Wrestling Fan Fest in Dothan. The Crossing at Big Creek on Highway 231 just south of Dothan. Facebook to become friends with Ron. You can only do it by going to his Ron Fuller, the Tennessee stud Facebook page. You like him and follow him there and you automatically become friends with a legend. Twitter, follow him at Ron Fuller Welch on Twitter. On the website, visit the stud on his tremendous website. Everything is there, tnstud.com. You're going to find great videos and incredible photo gallery. Every stud cast ever done, including this one, episode number 255. Can you believe that? 43 super stud caster there too. Shop the stud store for all kinds of souvenirs. Personally autographed photos, the classic Continental Videos 5-pack, and the thrilling Lion novel, Brutus. You can get everything autographed, too. Southeastern Rewind on YouTube is still full of great shows, 
and coming soon, a first live YouTube question and answer show with the stud. Also, you can get information there about the streaming channel as well. Plus, check out ClassicContinentalWrestling.com, Ron's fantastic streaming channel. It is all there, and it always will be. Three superstars of the past series with Abraham Lincoln. Uh-huh, we're talking about the president. Martin Farmer Burns and Frank Gotch. May 1986, Continental TV shows are now there too. 23 USA TV shows, two new stud cast stories, and now four stars of the sport with Andre the Giant, Mankind Mick Foley, legendary Ron Wright, and Bob the Bullet Armstrong with hundreds of new photo- photos added. you got to check it out. Now, five Brutus readings are there, too, from the stud himself, and three documentaries. Wildcat Wendell Cooley, world premiere of Tony Anthony's Dirty White Boy, plus a tremendous two-hour special of Mongolian Stomper matches. you got to see this one. The content grows weekly, well over 114 hours of old-school wrestling entertainment now, and it's only the beginning. Here's the deal. You get subscribed at ClassicContinentalWrestling.com for only $4.99 per month or knock it all out at one time. Don't be bothered with it. $39.99 per year. It's fast becoming the best old-school streaming site on the planet. Don't miss this special offer, too. Right now, for a limited time, get a free one-week trial on ClassicContinentalWrestling.com. All right, Stud, I don't know how you do it. I'm out of breath. You've done it again. So much history in every one of these studcasts. No wonder they're fast becoming the most unique and popular wrestling podcast in the world. you got a ton of fans. Congratulations. Nobody does what you do. Taking fans on a ride each week behind the kayfabe curtain. So, where do we ride to next week, Stud? Well, we're going to be looking at the week of June 23rd, 1978. Uh, there's going to be a loser leave Knoxville match between the great Malenko and Tony Charles. Plus, uh, Joe LaDuke is going to be refereeing the Southeastern Championship match between the new champion, Ronnie Garvin, and the Mongolian Stomper. The card, the TV, the results, and the attendance uh, for that uh, Southeastern Knoxville end of the territory is going to be uh, on this one. And then uh, we're going to travel south and find out what happened when the Mobile TV returned and how big the crowd was to welcome it back in Mobile and Pensacola. Plus, we'll talk about the Dothan card, the TV, the results, and the attendance there. And hopefully, we'll, we're going to have enough time for another learning tree, man, to follow that. So uh, I want to thank everybody, as always, uh, every listener out there. Really, really appreciate your support. Uh, tell your friends and neighbors about us. Uh, take care of yourselves and others. And may God bless us all. For Ron Fuller in the Great Smoky Mountains, I'm David Summers saying thank you for listening. Find me at davidsummersproductions at gmail.com. This Studcast is a David Summers production for Tennessee Stud, LLC. Thanks for joining us today for this historic Studcast. The true story continues next week. So full Nelson your friends and point them in our direction for another ride with the Tennessee Stud. This is David Summers saying so long from the Great Smoky Mountains.